If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Ciao everybody and welcome to a new episode of Voices in Data Storage brought to you by Gigaohm. I am Enrico Signoretti. And today we will talk about how data storage is evolving in the cloud computing era. I mean, there are a lot of things happening, not just uh, on the cloud per se, but uh, with uh, uh, distributed enterprises and uh, with the fact that we don't have the same kind of organization that we had a few years ago, like branch offices are becoming more hedge things and uh, things like that. So less people working on IT, even if uh, IT is more pervasive than ever. So today, helping, uh, today with me, I have Andres Rodriguez, CTO at Nazuri and co-founder of the company. Hi, Andres, how are you? Uh, very well, Enrique. Very good to be on your show. So, Andres, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, maybe we can start with a little bit of background about you and, uh, and your company. Uh, sure thing. You know, I'm technical. I, uh, I have a background in distributed systems. Um, started my career as a CTO of the New York Times. Uh, then was a CTO at Hitachi Data Systems. Started my own company in object storage, which today we call cloud storage. And then decided we needed a, a file system for object storage. So I created Nasuni around the idea of building a global file system that would be um, native uh, to object storage. Uh, which gives you some pretty formidable uh, capabilities, um, specifically around the stuff you were talking about, which is how organizations have changed uh, and are now uh, global. And so they need to support infrastructure that is also global. Yeah, in fact, so we, uh, before the cloud, but even, you know, in the, uh, at the beginning of cloud, so we have to remember that the first service launched by Amazon in 2006, if I remember well, was object storage, okay? And object storage was totally different from any other sort of storage that we had in the past. I mean, block and files, okay? Block, uh, it's very good for your databases. Files are good if you, uh, I mean, file system and NAS systems are, are good if you access them uh, locally, okay, so in a local network, because the protocols usually are very, very chatty, they are not optimized for long distances, okay. But object storage on the other side, uh, but object storage on the other hand is, you know, accessible from everywhere because uh, especially S3 protocol, which is now considered the standard in this industry, is, uh, is something that you can access with a uh, with HTTP, so from everywhere, it's easy. Uh, you you know you don't have specific rules for firewalls and things like that. So it's uh, theoretically is the perfect storage for the internet era. But you know better than me that uh, Anders, there are some limitation of the object storage. Yes, absolutely. Enrique. I'll, I'll tell you a good story. You know when I was so I built an object storage company and Hitachi. You know first OEM and then. Uh, Hitachi Data System has eventually bought the company. And when they made me the CTO there, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, look, object storage is the future of storage. There's no question in my mind that given its scale and its ability to protect the data in a distributed way, um, all 
data, all enterprise data will eventually end up in object storage. But without file systems, really IT can do very little with it. It's great if you're a developer. It's, it's great if you're writing a website, uh, supporting a website like you know Facebook. All those pictures of cats are stored in object storage. Uh, but it's no good if you need access control, you need versions, you need consistency, you need performance, you need you know NFS, SIFs, all that stuff. And so when Amazon launched uh, S3, um, we were all sitting there trying to convince you know a, a very advanced engineering but traditional storage company that the future was let's build giant object storage data centers and build a file system around that and deliver the whole thing as a service to our clients. Once we saw Amazon launch S3, um, we pretty much all looked at each other. We read the Dynamo papers at the time and we said, this is pretty much identical to the stuff we just built because you know you give engineers the same problem constraints and they'll come up with some pretty similar stuff. You know, We had a REST API, we had many of the things that S3 um, was broadcasting to the world at that time. And so we said, you know, more big players are going to follow suit. They're unlikely to be the traditional storage guys. And, you know, it's proven to be that way. You know, if you look at the leaders in this market, are they're really Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. Um, none of them were in the storage or infrastructure market before. Um, and we said, we are going to build the, the enterprise class, the global file system that can be portable across those three systems so that we can bring the benefits of object storage into the kind of gnarly world of file systems in the enterprise. Yeah, and there is another interesting fact. I mean, you mentioned the major service providers. And what is really interesting to me is that uh, I think we started seeing files happening in the cloud two, three years ago. And, uh, you know, like an afterthought for many of these providers. I mean, they thought that object storage is going to rule the world. Yes, they added block storage because it was needed for their uh, virtual machines in the cloud, but, you know, something was missing. Uh, it, it's true that when enterprises started to adopt the... Uh, it's true that when enterprises started to adopt the, the cloud, they started bringing their workloads, and most of their workloads are still based on, on files. I mean, not, not only the uh, you know uh, your office workloads but also application workloads and this created a, a you know uh, a few issues so everybody started building file system but i don't know many of them looks like a, a something the you know uh, um, work it on top of the objects to you know something with an object storage interface on the backend but actually with a, a lot of limitations, scalability, performance, everything. I mean, absolutely. We we you know we actually tried that uh, when I was doing my my company um, that that we we ended up uh, selling to Itachi. You know, you can you can put NFS or SIFS as a protocol on top of object storage, and kind of get by being able to put uh, files through those protocols but the resulting file system is going to be pretty lousy. I mean, like you mentioned, it's going to be slow. It's not going to have real versioning. Uh, it's not going to have, um, you know, the, the kind of atomic high performance that you expect from uh, real file systems. And so the, the, the concept 
for you know like our designs is really to start with the object store and build a file system inside the object store where the inodes you know the, the metadata structures that hold the file system are uh, native objects in the object storage once you have that image in the object store synchronizing changes back and forth to something that's a separate you know essentially an edge appliance that's doing both the protocol conversion and the transformation back and forth when the synchronization happens becomes a you know much more elegant, much more streamlined uh, process. And so at that point, you get to match the performance levels of traditional file systems in data centers, you know, what we call NAS, you know, NAS arrays. Um, but you get the benefits of object storage. And you know, those benefits are what you mentioned before. Like if you have a file system built into object storage, it will scale forever. And you can build protection into that file system by taking the same kind of, you know, at the end, what you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to remove the biggest limitation in file systems, which has been a limited pool of inodes. Like if you look at what happened when we went with, from monolithic arrays to distributed file systems, it was all really about trying to bring more capacity and more inodes into the file system. Well, object storage can give you an infinite pool of objects. If you map the inodes to the objects, you get infinite inodes. You get infinite inodes, you get every scale constraint removed from the file system. You know, so that means you can go millions to billions of files. You can go terabytes to petabytes in capacity. And most importantly, or just as importantly, you can have an infinite number of snapshots or versions of the file system. That means the file system can protect itself, which means you can get rid of all that junk backup that really it's can't support file systems once they get to a certain size. Yeah, one other thing. Uh, well, from, from my point of view, it's not only scalability, though. I mean, we have changed the way we consu- create, consume, and distribute data. I mean, the teams are now distributed across you know, uh, huge distances. Sometimes you have team working on the same project on different continents, okay? So it's not just the file system, because if you think about the file system, even if you have an object storage backend that is theoretically accessible from everywhere, don't having, uh, you know, without a, a file system that uh, is accessible from everywhere, you miss half of the story. I mean... Uh, uh, very good, very good. That's, that's actually the third property, which is brand new. And, and, you know, that is the difference between a distributed file system, which is just a very scalable file system, like, you know, something like Isilon, and a global file system. A global file system is not only scalable, but you can distribute it geographically. And, you know, that changes the whole equation from DR and business continuity, because all of a sudden you can fail from any data center or branch office to any other geographic location and you have the same synchronized file system to enabling collaboration with end users by offering global shares like SIF shares that are just like SIF shares except they behave globally. They exist everywhere. You have one of these edge appliances all the way to very heavy workloads like media workloads or you know game development, things that require hundreds of terabytes or petabytes of data to be synchronized around the world um, through this global file system. And, and that's what's exciting is that not only have we resolved some of the issues 
that pester IT around file system and management and backup and all that stuff. But we're enabling with the global file systems a whole new array of capabilities that are important to the line of business. You know, if you can collaborate geographically with heavy um, file payloads, it means you can move videos around. It means you can move very large data sets around so that multiple groups can work on it. And now you have infrastructure that's, that's global, which is what the companies are. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of very large global companies um, that come to us with their, their heads of infrastructure, the CIOs, essentially saying, look, we become global, we're very successful, but our infrastructure still feels provincial. Like it works really well in one or two places around the world, but we have, you know, dozens of locations around the world where we have important projects going on and they just get kind of the fumes of infrastructure. They, you know, it's slow infrastructure, it's hard to get resources, it's hard to plan, hard to scale. The idea of the cloud is that you can make every location around the world equally resourced without a huge amount of effort and cost. Yeah, and also, as you mentioned, this kind of file system, I mean, having everything synced in the backend uh, in the object store means also that the front end is no longer important. I mean, you can lose it. So it becomes easier to uh, backup uh, the system or plan for disaster recovery strategies, these kind of things. Especially now that we have, you know, these uh, teams very distributed. It's not like that the two teams work, you know, uh, on the same project in um, distant from each other, but sometimes they are in very small offices in the middle of nowhere. And you don't have IT people managing their, you know, infrastructure. That's exactly right. And that is, you know, that is in general the benefit of SaaS, right? That's one of the reasons why companies love to uh, deploy SaaS across, you know, their vast organizations, because it's the same level of service for everyone. Now, in the past, you know, SaaS, you know, uh, you know as a service has been limited to just software applications that don't require a whole lot of interaction with the end users. But the cloud is changing all of that. You know, it's not just, you know, Workday and Salesforce that are now SaaS offerings. Infrastructure is now a SaaS offering. And applications, full application stacks can be SaaS offerings as well. And, you know, that gives you a lot more flexibility when, you know, let me tell you, so, uh, you know, a couple of trends that are important that typically go out with a, with a cloud architecture when organizations are beginning to change. And, you know, we kind of seen in the last 10 years a real evolution from, you know, cloud what? We, we, we just want to be educated. We don't really want to do much with it. Maybe put some backups in it to give me a cloud option for everything I want to do to make cloud option the first option we consider before buying more hardware, which is where a lot of organizations are today, to cloud only. In other words, we want to take ourselves out of the data center business altogether. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, but, you know, in all this dream of the cloud and, uh, and having a file system distributed all across the world, there is a small issue. I mean, for example, I live in uh, in Europe, okay, we have a lot of regulation around uh, um, 
GDPR, for example, okay, so data privacy, yeah. but not only that. In some okay. countries, you can't move the data outside the country, so data sovereignty, yeah. these kind of things. It's, uh, you know, I think sometimes that everything is cool, but if you don't have the tools to manage all of this uh, with policies, with uh, with uh, the necessary, you know, uh, with the necessary uh, rules to, to manage your data, then it becomes a nightmare. You know, there is a, there is a, you're absolutely right that you need tools to be able to manage the compliance. And I think there is a, there are two misunderstandings about cloud that are important to, to clarify when you're trying to set out your, your cloud strategy. Because I think a lot of people understand the benefits, you know, scale, cost, global reach. Um, what I think is misunderstood is, you know, the cloud is not like an ethereal magical place that exists, you know, like in the actual clouds, right? The cloud is in data centers all around the world, physically in countries, in locations that are just being run as services by these giant service providers. And so let me give you an example when it comes to compliance. You know, we have many clients that will have a private object store and deploy the large majority, you know, they'll, they'll have petabytes in this object storage and be running all their file systems happily with private object stores that happen to be in North America. And then they go to Europe and they want to be able to provision the storage and be compliant in Europe, where say in Germany, you can't get the data out of Germany. Well, rather than set up a complete object storage stack in Germany themselves, you know, they'll go to Azure or they'll go to Amazon AWS and use a local resident data center from those providers in those countries and be able to meet the requirements, the country requirements with public cloud. So it's very important to understand that public cloud just gives you a very large menu to choose from in terms of how you actually localize the data. And like you say, Enrique, it's, it's very important to have the tools that allow you to do the management of, of being able to do that. But the physical plant is there and you don't have to build it. You know, as an, as an organization, as a customer, you don't have to build it. Um, you know, the other misunderstanding about cloud is that you need incredible, you know, network infrastructure to get to the cloud. The opposite is true. You typically need a lot of network infrastructure when you're doing, say, traditional backups. You know, that's why you see a lot of customers consume their MPLS networks with um, backup streams. When you go to the cloud, the cloud systems are designed to work in streaming modes, which is far more efficient than the sort of batch type transfers that typical backup or typical replication attempts to do. And so, or one acceleration, say, that the, the, you know, the horrible SIFS NFS over one is just a nightmare for end users. And so, you know, by having, by adopting a cloud architecture, you can actually go much farther in places that, you know, have much smaller pipes and that have public pipes because the cloud is designed to be secure from the edge to the cloud without needing to have all these additional pieces of infrastructure to provide security. You know, so we see a lot of clients, you know, that are going from MPLS to SD1 and benefiting from it. And they want it because they want to get to the cloud faster from any location that they're in the world. And there is a lot more availability of just straight internet pipes than there is this complicated 
expensive, hard to manage MPLS networks. Um, and, you know, like we have clients that are like, you know, mining for aluminum and they will be in the jungle, uh, in, in the Amazon jungle and have one, two megabit pipes and, you know, backups, as you can imagine, with that kind of infrastructure, the file server backups were crushing them and were impossible to actually achieve. With a cloud infrastructure, you're just synchronizing all day long. You know, it feels, even though it's infrastructure, it feels a lot more like the way, you know, Dropbox feels on your laptop. As soon as it's got a little bit of air, it just reaches out and synchronizes, synchronizes, and everything is always up to date at your edge location. So it's those are the two concepts that I think are very important. The cloud is everywhere, really physically, almost anywhere in the world you need it. And the cloud can run with a various degrees of network infrastructure that, that can reach yeah, it. Yeah, so let me play the uh, advocate evil here for a moment. Okay. So we're talking about file systems, and, and I know we, we all know that you you have a this global file system, okay? But why not uh, using a sync and share then? I mean, uh, uh, some, some of the features look <laughs> yeah. similar. Now, at the end of the day, you have your users accessing files remotely, and they share the same uh, virtual volumes somehow. Right. Well, there's, there's two reasons for it. One is there is tremendous architectural advantages to having a local cache distributed out to this, the sites where a lot of users are accessing the same files. So by being able to localize the storage closer to where the users are having all their interactions, you're gaining a tremendous performance advantage. So that's the benefit of kind of bringing, bringing the cloud into the data center, um, you know, kind of into, I'm sorry, into the on-premises sites where the, where the actual end users are sitting and doing their work. Um, but the other benefit, and this is, this is the one that organizations realize, you know, like they'll move their home directories to, to OneDrive or to Box or to something like that, and everyone is super happy. And then they'll try to do what they do with shares with those SaaS applications, and everyone immediately gets very cranky. Um, and what happens is, you know, there is a ton of glue. There is a ton of infrastructure in terms of how applications talk to each other, uh, links in Excel documents that are all predicated on links through the file system, through a share file system that all the users can see as the same share file system. All that breaks. Um, there is the need when you're, in, when you're in, in the enterprise to scale well beyond the capacity of what you can put in any one user's you know, workstation or laptop. You know, you know, the moment you get into hundreds of terabytes, you're not going to have that accessible to any end user um, and be able to do that at scale. And so what happens is you, you really benefit from having file servers, you know, things where all of that power, all of that scale is being aggregated so that the users can consume it in a shared mode. Um, so it's, you know, it's very important not to confuse you know, a SaaS product, which is what essentially Dropbox, Box, OneDrive is, to infrastructure. You know, infrastructure for everything we've come to hate about it, we depend on it. You know, and it's, it's sort of one of those things that, you know, why do people hate infrastructure? Because it's hard to plan for it, because it's complex to run because, you know, there are many things that are difficult about running, 
you know, whether it's NAS or sand storage, it's, you know, at the infrastructure level. However, we depend on it. There is no way that you can run, you know, an organization without a, an organization's file system or NAS uh, any more than you can run, you know, virtual machines without a SAN infrastructure of some sort, a block infrastructure of some sort. Infrastructure is necessary and is not to be confused with SaaS. So let, let's take a few moments to talk a little bit more about Nazuni then. So uh, our, uh, so we, we, so far we're talking about uh, uh, a global file system, okay, with a, an object storage backend. So we have already an idea on what you do, okay? Maybe you can uh, go a little bit uh, uh, more in the details and explain how it works actually. So, sure thing. So, if you start, let's start at the edge. So, at the edge, you uh, deploy these Nasuni edge appliances. And they are, for all intents and purposes, um, you know, very similar to what any NAS, uh, enterprise class NAS is. It has SIFs, it has NFS, it plugs into AD. The goal of those edge appliances is on the front end to not change anything about the way IT delivers file services into the organization. Again, because of that, that need to keep the links, that need to keep infrastructure the same so that everything that plugs today into it can continue to plug into it. Um, there is two massive differences, though, with these appliances. First of all, they're compact. Even if you're handling a file system that's in the hundreds of terabytes or even petabytes, the appliance itself can just be a handful of terabytes. Now, it needs to be high-performance terabytes because that's the way that you're delivering the high level of IOPS that your end users come to expect. But these IOPS can be delivered from a virtual machine because people know how to run high-performance storage from VMs and deliver that to VMs. That means that everything you come to, to, to completely depend on for virtualization, you can leverage with this model at the NAS layer. The second piece is that the appliances themselves are all integrated into, into a common control plane that is actually giving you central monitoring, central configuration to all of them. And they, as I, as I mentioned, they can be deployed anywhere you have a hypervisor. So you can deploy them on your, all your on-premises um, locations. You know, and we have many clients that will deploy us on, on UCS around the world, uh, but they can also be deployed in the cloud, which means you can have, say, a disaster recovery site somewhere far away from your headquarters. Say you want a, a recovery site for Bangladesh. You can have a local recovery site provided by AWS or Azure, because like I said before, the cloud is physically in many, many places around the world that make it very convenient for you to deploy access to your file systems there. The result of all this, you know, is the appliances are all working away. The file system is being formed in the object storage layer. So if it's Amazon, it's in S3, as you mentioned before. If it's Microsoft, it's going to be in the Azure Blob storage. And you're going to get access to the same files, that same file system, from all of the locations. And just like you do today, you're not gonna have one file system, you're gonna have many file systems to cater to whether it's compliance needs or just for management reasons, you wanna partition it. But unlike what you have to do today, you won't have to back it up. 
you're never going to run out of space with it. And you're never going to have to deploy another file server because you're out of inodes, you're out of resources for what one file server can take because you're consuming the unlimited resources of the cloud, of the Amazon or the Microsoft or the Google Object Store core. Um, that's what we like to call that architecture. Uh, and in the market, we call it an edge core architecture because you're basically taking all of the problems of management scale availability into the core and you're still leaving that edge to just deliver high performance and edge availability, nothing else. Yeah, and in this architecture, uh, I mean, you, you remove uh, all the complexities at the edge, but actually, uh, you know, these devices become um, expandable in, in, in the sense that uh, if you... Exactly. Yes, we, we you know we'd like to think of it almost like a like a you know like a smartphone, right? You lose your iPhone, it's no. I mean, yes, you're sorry you lost it. But yeah. In terms of the data, iPhones cost today. It's a big loss. <laughs> yes, and you know think think about like that's an interesting analogy. Think about how how we used to think about phones, right? Especially when phones started having data in it. Every time you got a new phone, it was a hassle because you had to get the data somehow from the old phone to the new phone. That's the situation that most organizations find themselves in when they're trying to migrate from, you know, that NetApp array that was sold to you three, five years ago to this year's version. You have to do these bulk migrations and professional service and all this nonsense. In the cloud model, you, the moment you want to replace that appliance at the edge, uh, you want to spin up a new appliance, you just resynchronize, just like you do with your phone today, to the core services. Everything is handled behind the scenes. There is no state in the edge appliances. There is nothing to go get from the edge appliance. It's actually the same thing that allows the global file system to exist because the state of the global file system, it's in the cloud core object store. And the appliances are just constantly synchronizing against that shared common image of the file system. And so, uh, and, and no, and another advantage here is that uh, you know it's much easier to you know migrate data or you know enable the data mobility between on-prem and the cloud because you just deploy one of these appliances in the cloud so you can migrate data there to do whatever you need. So, yes, and, and I'll I'll tell you one of the one of the very cool things that uh, we're doing is. Remember, the file system ends up in the cloud. That happens because that's the place where you can scale and you can protect the data and you can distribute the data geographically from. But once the file system is in the cloud, it's logically centralized in the cloud. That is, you have a logical handle on your corporate file systems in the cloud. That means that you had mentioned GDPR. We have a new um, series of services coming out from Nasuni that basically allow you to plug in, for instance, GDPR engines that look at the file system in the cloud, all you know, with your own encryption keys, your own access control, um, and plug directly into, say, the AWS GDPR compliance engine. And what that's doing is that's basically scanning, you know, it could be scanning billions of files hundreds of terabytes, petabytes of data in the cloud outside your infrastructure at a speed that is unimaginable in traditional array infrastructure. And it's because you're looking directly 
at a cloud file system. Um, you know, this is one of the one of our goals as a company is, you know, we've for years we've sold these basic infrastructure companies that are basically backup and moving the files around DR, business continuity. Our customers are now asking for better insights into their data. And instead of trying to give them, you know, some kind of like analytics tool within the Nasuni uh, infrastructure, you know, we're plumbers, we're a file system company. We are giving them connectors so that they can now bring their data to the best in class analytics tool, essentially transforming what has been traditional NAS and file system in the enterprise into big data that you can access with the cloud analytics. Yeah, tools. that's very clever. But uh, so last question that I have is, uh, is around licensing because, you know, we're talking about cloud, so everything as a service, subscription, uh, um, how it works for Nazuni, that you have two components, the software part and the uh, hardware appliance. So we, you know, more and more, we are just all in the software appliance business. But our clients, you know, have always wanted to have an option that essentially, so, and, and by the way, we should we support every hypervisor in the market. And the other trend that pretty much, I, I talked about SD1 before, the other uh, change that companies are typically undergoing when they bring in the SUNY is hyperconverge, right? If you're thinking about how to deploy a simple stack across all your locations where you just want to run VMs, the last thing you want is a very large VM full of files. So they'll deploy a compact Nasuni virtual machine on top of their Nutanix or the UCS and run um, their NAS that way, run their file services that way. Um, so, however, in some situations, you don't have IT staff, you don't have any way to support a hypervisor that's far away. So we have a special OEM program that allows our clients to access an appliance that has no hypervisor. It's just bare metal Nasuni code. Uh, and runs that way. It's not as a, you know, the, the virtual machine gives you a lot of advantages, a lot of things for free, you know, including resizing dynamically, high availability. You know, all of our advanced features are really meant to run as software only. And, you know, we've hardly touched on this, Enrico, but I, I think one of the major trends of what's happening that the cloud is a big part of is, you know, software is eating the data center. It's eating the world and it's eating the data center. Every single part of the stack in infrastructure is being transformed into just software with no hardware dependencies. The cloud is the ultimate ocean of resources for being able to deploy software tools because you basically have no, no limitation on the hardware. That's all being managed behind the scenes. And so our clients all want to go to software. They all want to do orchestration. They want to automate. They want to access everything through APIs. And the last thing they want is to run into any sort of physical limitation or dependency when it comes to their infrastructure. And you can see that what's happening is, you know, for the more conservative uh, side of the house, they're doing, you know, kind of private, hyper-converged, very large, though, infrastructure deployments. And then the guys that are thinking, you know, sort of five years, you know, in the future are already going to the cloud and deploying cloud only, deploying their entire data center virtual in the cloud, uh, which is very aggressive for, for today's standards, but it's absolutely the way things are going to go. And so you want to pick tools that make software infrastructure possible. Um, you know, we are a software-defined NAS, 
And as such, we give you a strategy that allows you to go all the way from that virtual machine on-premise today to that virtual machine in a pool of virtual machines in the cloud tomorrow. Yep. So this conversation was very useful, I think. And uh, thank you again for the time that you spent with me. But yeah, last thing that I want to ask you to wrap up the episode is where we can find more about Nazuni, find some documentation and, and maybe follow up on Twitter or uh, other social media to, to continue this conversation. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, nasuni.com, N-A-S-U-N-I, uh, has everything you want to learn uh, uh, from us about. And it's, it's wonderful. And by the way, that comes from NAS, N-A-S, and uni, which means unified, bringing all those headaches and all the potential of object storage into one integrated system. Uh, it's where the name comes from. So, yes, nasuni.com, you can find everything, technical papers, and our blogs, I blog in there. Uh, there's lots of content there that's very informative. Okay, thank you very much, Andres, and uh, bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Unstructured data management is the focus of a report Enrica wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.